0: Pagavato, at a hatto, some masam putasa. Namor tassa, Pagavato, at a hatto, some masam Putang, when we have uh, a stretch of time like this to be quiet with our own body and mind and heart then we get to see a little bit more clearly what's going on so we, we, we see the habits of our thoughts and intentions and we also see Maybe get glimpses of our potential, to our greater potential, and and the the constant change and flux of the mind. That one day, you just want to leave. It's all too much. Wish you'd never come here in the first place. And then, even maybe hours later overwhelmed with gratitude because it's the best thing you've ever done. <laughs> so just this is a chance to get to see that uh, you know those those ebbs and flows that uh, that flux of thoughts and feelings that go on in our system. And also to see how we identify with them or not, you know. How we become the person who really shouldn't be here at all, or we become the person who is full of bliss and so close to enlightenment (laughs) until the next thing happens. We're just uh, seeing that whole process going on, it's, it's a great opportunity over these days to watch that. And it's very easy to, to just uh, you know, to, to become all of it. If we're not careful, you know, we, we become each of those things and we forget that we're kind of none of it. None of it is truly who and what we are. These are Changing states, you know, they're conditioned. they their responses to different uh, physical, mental, environmental situations that we we find ourselves in, and they're changing. So we we've emphasised quite a bit the the aspect of of not self, and also. Know, the different ways that the self arises, so it can arise through, you know, identification with our body. And you might notice also, you know, in the maybe after the meal, the feeling of you might feel kind of oh, a bit sluggish or maybe a bit overweight, and then later on the day you're doing yoga, and you feel really great, and the energy's moving. You know, it's the same body, but the, the energy is moving differently. It's got different things going on, so you feel completely different. Or you're, you're getting up at five in the morning and you feel just like... ooh, never going to make it through this. And then after maybe, at least for me, once I'm sitting in meditation, there's a brightness. So just watching all that going on, you know, and how we hold on to it and identify with it and become it. And it's in that holding on and becoming that the that's where the suffering lies. Because we're not really any of that. It's, it's all changing. It's all passing through our conscious experience. So it's, it's really precious to have this time to, to observe that and in the busyness of our daily lives it's more difficult to notice these things and we tend to follow particular patterns and stay within a certain comfort zone as much as possible it's kind of our tendencies so we don't have so much opportunity to watch the process going on so it's you know, this is kind of a special time but it might be in this special time that we have that what we're meeting is quite challenging and uh, we may be stopping and discovering that our, you know, our mental patterns or mental habits are you know, destructive, harmful and so if that's going on then there can be a sense of like oh no, it's all hopeless you know how am I ever going to get out of this one? So, it's, you know, so it is really important to, to actually stop and see what, what, are the, what are the habits, what are the patterns of this mind? Where are the places that it finds comfort? And where are its defences and its fears? There are many different places in the, in the suttas where the Buddha speaks about thought and the importance of using thought in the right way. So I uh, just want to mention about mind. So we, we speak about, in the West we speak about mind, we always point to our head. So this is the thinking, rational mind here. And in Asia, when people speak about mind, they tend to point to their heart. And in the In the Pali language, you have two different words for mind so there 's this mano, which is this rational tool up here, this very useful rational tool of the mind here of which we 've got various you know kinds here in the room. they can be brilliant you know sharp spacey you know there 's all kinds of different kinds of minds that people have, but this is the the rational, kind of cognitive, rational mind. And then there's the citta. So we've got Ayasanta citta here, peaceful heart, peaceful mind. So the citta is more, this is more where you tend to point to the heart, and uh, it's the experiential, intuitive, responsive mind. It's the mind that knows, even if the thinking mind isn't working anymore, So even people who have brain injury or dementia, there's still if if this chitta is developed, then there's still brightness. There's still a a, a clarity that comes through that, even if the words might not come out or you do the wrong thing, but the the clarity of chitta is still there. So it's just want to you know point to those two. Different aspects of mind, or different areas of mind, and in the Buddhist practice, or in the spiritual practice, really, we're working on developing the citta. So the 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 thinking mind. It's also good, you know, it's a wonderful tool, and it's a real pleasure to be with, you know, in the company of someone who has a a very clear and dexterous and uh, creative mind, thinking mind. but this uh, thinking mind is you know it is vulnerable. So it's the chitta that we, we're cultivating in this practice through patience and the well the four brahma viharas that we've been, have been speaking about and also through through bearing with challenging conditions, letting things burn up that we would like to maybe act out. Instead of acting them out, letting them burn up in consciousness. So letting the the frustration or the um, reactivity or the fear or the the craving, letting it burn up in the light of awareness. So this is uh, the process of purifying the citta. When we're doing this, this kind of practice, every moment, each moment that we choose not to follow an unwholesome intention, choose to cultivate a wholesome intention, that's a, a moment of cultivating chitta, and that kind of stays with us, regardless of what life and death bring us. And then there's the the thinking mind. You know, it might be that we have a good life, you know, we have everything we need, we have a place to live, we have enough food, we have, it's getting more difficult these days, but maybe health care, mm-hmm. and uh, clothing, maybe good friends, we have a practice, and it's all pretty good, you know, or at least good enough, if not really good. And yet then the mind, the thinking mind, can sabotage that whole process. So we've got all the conditions for furthering our practice and and opening more deeply, and yet the thinking mind comes in and sabotages what's going on. So it might be, the thinking mind might be saying, I need more, it needs to be better, I need to be better. So kind of, there's a kind of a craving for more and more and more. And so, even when we have everything we need, I think that's it's actually quite a big sickness in this culture, in the American culture, very strongly. Even though you have everything you need, there's always this craving for more, and more, and more, better, newer, different. And so, there's never a resting place, there's never a place of peace, because that craving is insatiable and the more we feed it the more hungry it gets so that's where it's important to drop down into the chitta and feel the craving feel the pain of it the pull of it the yearning the agitation and just let it be felt and let it be there until at some point it will pass as all things do, and then it'll come up again and then you know, maybe we can't hold back this time and we follow it and then we just watch that process, follow it, there's some relief and then what? It, it passes again and we're left maybe with something that gave us satisfaction for a little while that is now just another thing in our possession So, just watching that process, or it might be like a craving of being somebody, being important, being seen, being recognized, being appreciated, and that that craving is there. So, you know, because we can't appreciate our own being, we're not able to see and appreciate and enjoy and rest into what we're already bringing to this world. We can't appreciate that so we're always looking for somebody else to tell us that we're okay or that we're good enough or that we're great or that we're better than somebody else. (coughs) So this is a source of suffering. It comes from a place of lack inside and Again, you know, rather than letting this burn up, it's kind of impossible. You know, we can't really let that burn up because it's, it's, it's always it's coming from this hole with an H inside. So we need to turn towards that hole and feed it. Feed it with metta. Feed it with acknowledgement maybe gratitude. So find ways of nourishing that sense of lack inside that's always looking outside of itself for recognition or affirmation. Because it's an endless search and even if we get everything we want that hole is still there inside us. Even if everybody's giving us a standing ovation, and saying, like, yay, you're fantastic, you're wonderful, you did it. Maybe for a moment it feels great, and then you're left with that again. So, to find ways to nourish, heal that hole inside. And then there's the the critical, negative, judging thoughts. The thoughts that tell you that you're never good enough. That you're never going to be good enough and you never were. And these are really kind of cruel thoughts. And I think they're very common also. Or the thoughts that are looking at everybody else and saying, look at these people, they're you know, a waste of space, they're hopeless, <laughs> look at the hats they're wearing, <laughs> glasses, and, you know, it's the mind that, that looks out and, and criticizes, everybody's got something wrong with them, and you know, then we see what's wrong, it's a miserable way of living. So you know, if, if, you, if you recognize any of those mind states, none of those mind states are wholesome. None of them are leading to freedom. They're all forms of craving. And they're painful. And they perpetuate themselves. And you know, like I say, we might have everything. Everything's great in our life. Everything's good enough, even. And yet there's this voice that's saying, your practice is hopeless. Who do you think you're kidding going on a 10 day retreat? Monastic retreat as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or it's just a relentless, complaining, criticising, moaning voice that's going on in there. And then we hear it and then we think, oh gosh, there's that awful voice. There it is again, going on and on and on. And it's been going on ever since I can remember. And my parents were like this and my siblings were all like this. In fact, my whole extended family is like this. So, you know, it's kind of hopeless really, isn't it? I'm just stuck with it. It's going to have to be like this forever. And then you start to think, about, how, can I get, how can I get out of it? Know, fantasies of uh, harmful things. How to how to how can I get away from this this horrible mind that I'm stuck with? So you know this this can all get very real and very miserable, painful. So it's really important to know, first of all, to know that these thoughts, or any thoughts that we have are not truly who and what we are they don't belong to us they're visiting, they're passing through and that our tendencies of mind are conditioned so they might be conditioned to about nature and nurture in the Buddhist way of thinking nature could be kind of nurture in the past what, what we've nurtured in our, in our way of thinking uh, so, you know our karmic tendencies, and then there's the nurture, meaning like the environment and the the family or the particular social situation that we've been raised in and that we've that's influenced us. I always find it really helpful just to acknowledge, you know anything that's conditioned hasn't been here forever. There was a time before that conditioning started even if the conditioning might be very deep it's conditioned it's not totally what I am and if I carry on perpetuating that conditioning because it's kind of easier than not then I, then it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper and even though the mind might tell me that it's, it's just too big, too much, too long, too deep to even bother trying to change. The truth is that it just takes a moment. It just takes a moment to stop and turn towards that and be aware of it and know it for what it is and take a breath and not feed it just for that moment. And just for that moment there's a knowing that this is not ultimately who and what I am. And it just takes those little moments, moment by moment, of changing the patterning, changing the conditioning. So the thought that it's all too much and I'm never going to change is, it's, again, it's just another thought. And it's, it's kind of a thought of Mara, really. It's the words of Mara don't even bother trying because. So, to know that and to know the the pull of that and the pull of wanting to not exist, wanting to get away from, wanting to not be here. So I'm, I'm Kind of mentioning, that, calling it those, the, the three kinds of cravings. The craving, karma tanha, the craving for sensual pleasures. Bhava tanha, the, the craving to become, to be. And then vibhavatanha, tanha, the craving for non-existence. I think many, um, particularly Theravada Buddhists, have uh, a tendency to vibhavatanha. tanha. Not all, but I think it's this kind of a leaning, because it can look like, when you first come across the teachings, it can look like, hmm, yeah, no self, sounds nice, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, emptiness, you know, and there's a sense of, like, certainly for, my, for myself, the feeling of being somebody was so painful that the prospect of being nobody, of not being, is really, really attractive. Wow, what a lovely thing. And and so then, instead of seeing that the, the Buddha is put into the middle way, which is neither suppressing or indulging, neither becoming or not becoming, or, or rather, neither, neither becoming or getting rid of, it's a, a place of presence and of, of being. But I think many of us I'm motivated by that wanting to get out. I want to get out of samsara. That was my really strong yearning. Get me out of this, you know. There is no satisfaction to be found in this world. And and I've been born and I've got a life span. How do I get out of this without committing suicide? Well, what is the way out? And, and it isn't to annihilate oneself. And it isn't to become Perfect person. It's opening to what is happening here and now and seeing it and knowing it for what it is and recognizing that it can be transformed. So when I say transformed, again, I don't mean we transform ourselves into something perfect, somebody perfect, but that we see conditioning as conditioning and we take a moment. To see through it. Or maybe we need to take an hour. Maybe we need to sit with our breath for an hour and get a little glimpse of the mind dropping that bait of constant thought. And in that moment, there's like, okay, there's a little window into truth. And then the thoughts come again, the habitual thoughts. And it's, uh, you know, it's a process. It takes time and effort. But once you see, at least in my experience, once you see that little glimpse of reality of how the mind can be without that constant cycle of of endless perpetual selfing, then uh, there's like, ah, that's really, really attractive. And it's enough to keep on bearing with you know, the drudgery of the mind and not in a way that, that is just letting it, letting it run but we're not trying to cut it off, we're not trying to get rid of it but we're learning how to recognise the patterns and and then we can start to transform them gradually. So one of the things that I'd say is really important is to recognise the danger in all three of those ways of thinking. The danger in just following sensual pleasures. So there's a danger for, for oneself. You know, we keep following sensual pleasures endlessly, it's, it's addiction, it turns into addiction. And then we have to either let our life fall apart or we seek help and get out of that. And, and then there's the consequences outside of ourselves that we've mentioned a few times. <laughs> the fallout. We might get what we want, but what, who's making that? You know, what's it costing? People in sweatshops and child slavery making, you know, picking cacao beans to make chocolate that we eat, and, you know, this kind of stuff. It's going on in the world. And so, you know, looking at the consequences of our following sensual desire. And this isn't to put a guilt trip on it, you know, it's not to become guilty, but to become conscious and aware and make conscious choices. And then bhava that uh, wanting to become, follow it through. We, we Sometimes we get what we want, you know, we get the standing ovation or we get the pat on the back or we get the acknowledgement. And it feels good it is, it's helpful to it is helpful to be seen you know <laughs> but that's all, that's all it is it's that and then if we haven't cultivated this the self-respect and uh, presence inside <coughs> it's never going to be enough so just just kind of seeing that seeing the danger of following that and then uh, vibhavatana the danger of Following thoughts of, of annihilation, thoughts of wanting to get rid of, and they're often very much associated with with ill will you know. recognizing that it's a very big danger actually Vibhavatam. Many good lives have so to be too depressing, but you know I live near Golden Gate Bridge, you know there's uh, many Good people have thrown themselves off that bridge because of nibbāvatāna, wanting to not exist. So it can take us that far. So we have to be really careful with this stuff. And you know, if the mind is habitually negative, habitually critical, sometimes you know it, it can even be sort of seen as a like a culturally hip. You know, a little bit, uh, a little bit sarcastic and critical. It and, you know, shows shows you're intelligent. It can be like that, and we kind of get lured into letting those mind states run. But they're they're harming us and they're harming others. But mostly they're harming us. So, you know, don't believe the thoughts that say. I'm never going to get out of this. It's too deeply conditioned. I can't ever change this. And don't believe the thoughts that say I'm just a hopeless case or nobody loves me anyway. What's the point? I don't believe those thoughts. They're just thoughts. They're, They're cruel thoughts. And well, really learn how to, to see the the goodness that you are already living and that you're manifesting in the world. Somebody comes to mind who's uh, a really good person, working in a very wholesome job in a right livelihood, generous, hard-working, you know, many good qualities, good friends, and then thoughts come in and say, that's all pointless, yeah, it's all, they're all wrong, it's all rubbish. And then uh, even with all of that goodness, all of that wholesomeness, wholesome cultivation, good friends, wholesome livelihood, all of that, just through thinking, just through thoughts, which are so insubstantial, it can all just be pulled down and broken. So, you know, what we do with our minds is really, really crucial. When we find, you know, the, the pattern and the habit of our mind, we have to really take care around it. The Brahma-viharas are bringing us back to our true nature loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity. These are, these are like our citta, the true nature of our citta, that isn't clouded by all those thoughts. And we might need to work really hard at cultivating them, and that's really, really worthwhile. So to take the time each day, here we're in retreat, we've got another day, full day, and a bit. And then soon you'll be going home. And this supportive and beautiful environment will stay here and we'll go elsewhere. And uh, the challenges will come. So it's really important to take time to remember what is important and what is not important in my life in your life and to recognize the dangers of letting the mind run down these habitual roads and to remember that the the remedy is right here little by little, moment by moment we can transform even the most unwholesome mind states I've always taken great uh, solace in the story of Angulimala which I'm sure you're familiar with the the mass murderer at the Buddha's time who out of kind of rather naive reasons ended up killing 999 people wearing the finger, he'd cut a finger off. Each time he killed somebody, he'd cut a finger off them and wear it around his neck. So Angulimala means a necklace of fingers. And uh, this guy was crazy. You know, he was going around <laughs> killing people. He was a, a, a notorious bandit and murderer at that time. People were terrified of him. And By some amazing karma, Uh, he was just uh, on his way to finish off the last, he was aiming for a thousand people. So just looking for his last one to complete his work, he was uh, walking through a forest and made a determination, the next person I see, I will kill them, take their finger and then I've completed my one thousand murders and he was doing this actually for somebody else who'd who told him to do it and was naive enough to go ahead and do it and uh, so he was just about to reach that uh, number of completion and fortunately and he's walking through the forest with that intention in mind the next person I see I'm gonna kill them and then I've done my duty and the Buddha was also in that area and uh, he As he did often, he would, like in the morning, scan the 10,000 world systems and see who is ready, who is ripe to hear the teaching. You know, not just that they will hear it, but they will hear it and there will be an awakening. And he saw that in the heart of Angulimala there was the potential for full awakening. And he also saw that Angulimala was walking through the forest and Angulimala's mother was also walking through the forest and the next person he was going to see and Gurimana was going to see was his mother and he'd made this determination to kill the next person he saw so uh, one of the basically we are all we all have the potential for full awakening in this lifetime but one of the few things that uh, obstruct that is because the karma is so heavy is to take the life of your mother or your father, amongst a few other things. And so the Buddha saw, like, well, this man, this bandit who's a mass murderer, has the potential in his heart for, for becoming fully enlightened in this lifetime. But if he kills his mother, he, he can't it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. He walked between the two of them, and so the next person Angulimala saw was the Buddha. And so, yeah. Angulimala sees the, this monk walking along, and and uh, shouts after him, "Fool! You know, come here! I'm going to kill you!" And, and, uh, and the Buddha just walks on, and Angurumana's is walking after him, yelling at him, and, and the Buddha just carries on walking, and then uh, and Angu kind of getting more and more riled by this who is this guy he should be afraid of me and I not does he know and this well no that's better abandon <laughs> and uh, he starts running after the Buddha and the Buddha just carries on walking he, he runs faster and faster but he gets no closer to the Buddha who's just walking at the same pace and then he, he stops and he shouts stop stop and the Buddha turns around and he says, "I stopped a long time ago. When are you going to stop? When are you going to stop harming living beings?" And then the Anguruman is kind of shaken in his shoes, and he's probably not wearing his shoes, but he's shaken by this. And they they talk, and he realizes, "Wow, well, you know, the Buddha is a you know, he's a great man." And he takes refuge in the Buddha, and he becomes a monk. And after some time, it's kind of a little bit hard to tell in the suttas, it sounds like it's not very long, but after some time he becomes fully enlightened. This crazy guy with this horrendous history becomes fully enlightened. So uh, (laughs) I've often, over the years, being so grateful to Angulimala. <laughs> because you kind of you know, you, you see your own mind and you, and you find yourself getting lost in you know, these things again and again and you feel, oh God, it's hopeless, how am I ever gonna and maybe you remember the things that you did in the past that you feel really regret about, you feel really bad about. And then I think of Angulimala. But he had some regret. <laughs> He had quite a lot of regret, you know. <laughs> once he woke up to what he was doing, and yet he became fully enlightened. So, you know, when you kind of compare what's going on here in any of us to what he was doing, it kind of looks pretty manageable. So. Yeah. <laughs> to me (laughs) so it's just kind of trusting really it's trusting that we have it in us we have it in us to change the habits of a mind we have it in us to to not act on the thoughts that arise we can do that and it might be that we know because we speak speak about greed types uh, aversion types and delusion types there's always kind of a bit of a joke you know well which type are you well I'm a green type are hey, you sure seems to be very aversive as well <laughs> what about all that delusion you know so we kind of you know we're all a mixture of all of it actually but we have some leanings towards one more than another maybe um, and it might be that we can't deal with all of them at once so you look at which one is doing the most harm and which one is maybe helping out at the moment, while I work with that one. You know, if we do try to do too much at once, then it's... Uh, we can just kind of give up, you know, it can be too, too difficult. But to just try and manage with what we've got. You know, how do I make best use without totally tipping the whole thing <laughs> you know, into a into kind of madness? How do I work with that? That's really, really harmful while doing that, that's kind of not great, but it helps to stop doing that other thing. So just kind of look at the, the picture and, and, and see, well, how can I best manage this accumulation of tendencies and work on wearing away and, and rooting out and transforming the, the places that are most harmful? And thought, you know, thought is just thought. It's so, so transient. It's so transient and yet it's immensely powerful as well. You know, this, as here we are at the Angela Centre, this began with a thought. Somebody thought about building it. Somebody thought about making this artwork. Somebody thought about changing it from a convent into a, Retreat center, and it's sustained through thoughts. We were just uh, not just thoughts, actually speech and action as well. But we just uh, this morning met one of the sisters who had lived has lived here since 1979, or lived lived here in 79 and lives nearby, and uh, a woman who works with her, who has helped get this retreat together, and. Going up into that space and seeing where they work, there's a there's a certain quality that is coming through their thought and intention. So it's not you know they're 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 sitting there in offices with papers and and calendars and all of that, but it's got a sacredness. You can feel it. There's a sacred energy. There's a sacred intention going on that that. It, is, is strong there and it also imbues this whole place and it's what brings us here together so it's not about what you're doing but it's like the mind that you're bringing to it so thought is very powerful and it is also very transient You know, if we look at it in one way it seems Impossible to change, and we look at it another way, it's changing all the time. So we can, you know, give a different input into the mind. And it's also sometimes really helpful to have mirrors and I don't mean physical mirrors to look in, but mirrors in terms of good friends and teachers because sometimes we can only see what's wrong, we can't see the strength and the beauty and the courage and the perseverance and the generosity that is manifesting through us and we just see the, the the other bits so it's really important also to have good friends who can mirror to us the, the wholesome and maybe also point out the danger of following the unwholesome even though we can only transform our own hearts nobody else can do it for us we are all in it together as well, we help each other the self arises through our attachment to thought and it is released when we release that attachment and the thoughts might still carry on but we're not feeding them anymore we're not believing in them anymore and we're we're cultivating presence and patience and kindness, generosity, appreciation and opening to the bigger picture. So we all share the potential to awaken and most likely we all share certain amounts of greed, hatred, and delusion. It's just looking at what do we want to cultivate and what do we not want to cultivate. And keeping on at it. Keeping on going. Smile so for this. To see you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit DharmaSeed.com